Hey, co-host Adrian here. And out of all the thousands of available podcasts, you're listening to this one because you love Evansville. Well, we obviously love Evansville too, but we can't tell these stories without the support of people like you. So before we get started with today's episode, we want to give you the opportunity to partner with our storytelling work here at For Evansville. Your donation will allow us to continue to share these unique stories about how people are working together to make Evansville a place where everyone can flourish. And the cool news is right now we have a $50,000 match, so any gift you give will be doubled. So help us complete the match before the end of the year by going to forevansville.org slash podcast partner, or you can find the link in the show notes. Thanks for being for Evansville. Welcome to the For Evansville podcast, where we talk to people about how the things they're learning and doing are contributing to the overall flourishing of Evansville. But it's not just about the individual players. We talk about the importance of collaboration. Because let's be real, it takes a lot of moving parts to create real value. We chat with our guests about who the other necessary people are in their work and how collaboration could play a bigger role in making Evansville an even better place to live, work, and play. We hope it inspires you not to just live in Evansville, but be for Evansville. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to hear inspiring stories of community building and collaboration between Habitat for Humanity and the Evansville Vandenberg School Corporation. I'm your host, Adrian Gregorich, and I'm here today with Beth Foles, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity, and Sheila Huff, the Director of Strategic Engagement at the EVSC. Thanks for being here. Nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sheila, I just want to start with you. Uh, if you could just explain what the Director of Strategic Engagement for the EVSC means. I help provide a pathway of communication, hopefully between the community at large and the school superintendent, so that he knows what is going on in the community with, with our families. And I try to help provide a little bit more clarity to those who may be struggling with the bureaucracy that occurs, the red tape that oftentimes occurs with establishments, uh, just learning who to connect with. And having been involved with EBSC for 47 years uh, gives me a little bit of a, a heads up on, on knowing who I might contact, who somebody might connect but it has also afforded me an opportunity to establish a, a long-standing relationship between the community, the, the entire community, Black, white, Hispanic, uh, in, in terms of just establishing trust and a foundation and a relationship. And when you have those, then a lot of things, good things can occur. So why is it important for the superintendent or just education in general be connected to the community? Well, because if kids aren't in a stable situation, then the community as a whole will suffer. Our kids are our future. Uh, the Evansville population is, is getting older, and therefore we need a very stable and very strong educational system where kids can come in after we are, are well gone and, and take care of and move Evansville and the entire community, tri-state area, forward. That requires education. Right. And so we have you, Beth, with us uh, from Habitat for Humanity. Um, 
And you guys are, do some work together. It's important that housing relates to education. And so could you just talk about that? Yeah. So housing, I I see housing and ha- education as walking hand in hand together. Um, I We know from studies that we have done how important it is for stable housing um, to be part of a family's life so that their kids do better in school. Um, and, what, you know, when I think about how housing and education rest together, I think, you know, if you if a kid comes home and they're not quite sure where they're going to lay their head at that night to to rest and go to sleep and get up the next morning, then how do they study? How do they um, exceed in school? And so I think that stable housing component that Habitat provides through a stable, affordable home makes such a difference um, for children because they know where they're going to rest their head at night. Their parents know where they're going to rest their head at night. And it just adds a layer of stability and security to a child's life. So education, um, I recently heard Kelly Kerr's talk, and he's, he referred to it as kind of a three-legged school stool. You have to have a home, you have to have food, and you have to have income that results from your education. And so if any one of those pieces is missing, any one of those legs of that stool is missing, um, it makes it hard for a child to succeed. And so uh, we provide that that affordable housing through um, a home ownership opportunity. Could you walk us through, Sheila, just some maybe like almost an individual story so we could have a just maybe a person or a kid have think through that there what a story of theirs might look like so we could maybe have more empathy or maybe some scenarios or situations that we wouldn't normally think about uh, for a child? Well, you often see uh, children that, that will come to school. Uh, they may not have appropriate clothing, and therefore someplace like hangers comes into to play that provides uh, clothing, uniforms for, for children. And having been a principal at a middle school as well as a high school, uh, there are circumstances where the kids come in very early in the morning and sometimes get there oftentimes before the principal even gets there, which lets us know that they see something in the schools that the schools provide them that they cannot get at home. And so the child we know is, is struggling in the home environment and not necessarily because that's the desire of the parent but it's because of the circumstances that, that they are in. Yeah. Uh, there are times when a parent may have to, to go to work extremely early or they are, have worked the night before and haven't gotten off yet. So oftentimes you find households where the oldest sibling is the caretaker of all the younger siblings. And so when that happens, something's got to give. And oftentimes it it really falls back on the child's education, the oldest child, because they are exhausted from trying to take care, get their siblings to school on time. Maybe there's nothing for them to eat. Well, we get them there early enough so that they can have breakfast. But guess what? By the time it's time for the sibling, oldest sibling, 
to get to a school, maybe we get to school and maybe we don't. If we do get to school, chances are nine times out of ten we're going to be late because we've had to play the role of the parent. And it's not because, the again, the, it's not because the parent doesn't want to be a parent, but the parent is out working two or three jobs. And I've seen this over and over again. So oftentimes in the, out, when I'm out in the community and I hear others who really don't understand say, well, they don't care about their kids. They never come to the, to the meetings or to the kids' programs. I have to, oftentimes will stop them and say, excuse me, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not that they love their children any less than what you love yours. It is because of financial constraints that does not afford them the opportunity to be here or to have their children in dance classes or ice hockey or all these other things. So we're forcing that the economy has forced, again, parents to try have to make decisions. Do I pay the rent or do I go and get groceries? And right now, probably paying the rent is cheaper than getting groceries. So we look at our population and what is the impact that it is occurring. And so how do we get off of this wheel? We're kind of like a guinea pig running and running and running around. How do we get up? One way to do that is to provide them with affordable housing so that they can get off of that. Uh, instead of having money thrown out the window because they're paying an exorbitant amount of money for a rundown, maybe, maybe two-bedroom place that has no insulation, give them affordable housing. And and oftentimes, unfortunately, our, many in our community think, well, you're giving them that. No, 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 no. They have to pay for homes, mortgages, just like anybody else does. And so it is important when we talk about education, it's not just those who are in low-income areas that need education. It is our upper and higher elite middle-class people who need to be educated on what the impact is when part of our community suffers. It impacts all of us. And I have always said to those who feel that maybe these are people who don't want better or aren't willing to get out and work. If we fail to educate, then we are doing a disservice, not only to the community, but to ourselves. Because when I used to teach at USI, I always used to say, failure to, and to my teachers, failure to educate our kids one day will impact us. Then you tell me, it may not impact you personally, but if you had a choice, would you rather have someone uneducated living next to your children and grandchildren, or would you rather have someone who is educated? And that becomes a huge responsibility when we put it back on us and say, which would you prefer? Right. Therefore, education is the fundamental key. Anybody that can read, any surgeon, any attorney, anybody that is in a stellar profession needs to thank a teacher because that's where it started. Right. Because I will ask, what do you do? 
well, I'm, I'm an attorney. Can you read? Yes. Thank me. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, one of those things that you said that helps to alleviate uh, the kind of the burden on the parents is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where Habitat steps in. Have, I would love to hear how how the work that you've done and in the neighborhoods, how that's impacted the kids that you've seen that have been part of yeah. the houses. Well, um, as I'm not sure whether I mentioned it yet, but we did a study back in 2016. And what that study showed is the children that grew up in a Habitat home graduated at an um, average graduation rate of 88%. And that exceeds our public school system's graduation rate. And so if you would compare our graduation rate to even low-income families, I think you would find that we far exceed the graduation rate for just in general low-income families. We know affordable housing plays such an important role in, in just life in general. It affects your education. It affects your work. It affects um, your health. It affects your mental health. It affects your self-esteem. It just, it's kind of um, something that affects our whole, our whole being, not only as an individual, but as a community. And so um, when I see our families that are coming into our program, they're paying $1,100 in rent for something that is uh, not energy efficient, small, overcrowded, has mold, um, um, not well insulated, just the problems that it has. And I know that we can build them an affordable, energy efficient home and that their mortgage payment, including their taxes and their, their insurance, is going to be about $500. I know we're making a difference in the community. And I know our donors and our volunteers are making a difference in this community. Um, right now in Evansville, one of our, what we just have a problem, we don't have enough units of affordable housing. So we collaborate with Memorial Baptist CDC. We collaborate with Hope of Evansville, with uh, Community One, with, um, I'm leaving one out, I'm trying to think of it. Uh, I said Hope, Memorial, Community Echo Housing was the one I left out. But um, so all of us are on this um, um, quest to build as many units as we can build. Our occupancy rate in Evansville is 98%. And that is what's driving rents up, is we just don't have enough units. So the uh, landlord that's not taking good care of their property and is, um, uh, you hear uh, the Dream Center talk about there were raccoons living in one of this, the um, roofs, uh, kind of attic area of one of the homes, and the kids weren't able to sleep at night. Because of the raccoons, you know, that and they were having attendance problems and those kind of things. We um, we know that we, in order to to make affordable housing available to all, we have to build more units. And that's kind of our goal, um, particularly at Habitat. We want to produce as, as many affordable home ownership opportunities as we can because we know it makes such a difference for these kiddos. Yeah. 
And I think earlier you had mentioned that you're building a bunch of new homes in the TP Park yeah. neighborhood. Can you talk about neighborhood revitalization? And also, you can both speak into this as, as how a healthy neighborhood can affect a healthy school. Yeah. So um, particularly in TP Park, we're just getting ready to build there. Probably this week we'll break ground on the first home. And we'll build 24 homes in that neighborhood. And um, it will, I mean, it, Memorial Baptist has already built there. Hope of Evansville has already built there. There's some neat entrepreneurship things going on in that neighborhood. Community One is kind of what we call a backbone organization, doing some neighborhood revitalization work, really uh, working with the residents because um, we talk about resident-led initiatives being really those type of things that create sustainable change for a neighborhood. And so um, Community One is kind of walking alongside these neighbors that are already living there being a resource for them, but really the neighbors are the ones driving the change. So that change is going to live much longer than any one of our organizations coming in there and doing work. Yeah. And you, I love that because it, it really shows that you're valuing the people that live there. And and like you were saying that uh, people have a mindset that they, they don't want change or maybe they, maybe they just need that education piece you were talking about. And so to, to educate them, to provide them that knowledge, to, to provide this sustainable neighborhood living, it it shows that they, they're people with value. They can contribute to the society we want them to because absolutely we, we believe that all people have you know value and can contribute to their their community. And, and that's what makes us human is to be able to contribute rather than to just consume or, or live off of handouts. So, well, you know, the the book. At least years ago, the American dream was home ownership. Mm -hmm. And what better way than providing avenues for affordable housing for people uh, in terms of building self-esteem, uh, kids being able to bring friends home and not be embarrassed, but yeah. them just being able to walk through the door. And it's, it's a matter of allowing people to to grow, to understand who they are, to establish their own self-pride. It's kind of like my sons, when I call and ask them to show me how to do something with this new technology, they may want to come in and just do it. And I'll say, no, 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 no. I need you to teach me how to do it so I can do it on my own. It's the same thing with home ownership. If they've never owned a home, then one of the many of the things that Habitat helps them do is learn how to live in a home, how to sustain a home or a house and make it a home. Therefore, how do you and those neighbors that are already established teaching newcomers into the neighborhood, this is how we sustain and build our neighborhood. So teaching each other about property how to sustain it over the years. And, and so all of those things contribute in a very positive way to any community, but certainly to our community. And so it is essential that we continue to support this uh, because we do have factions in our community who are struggling. 
It's not that they don't want to do it. It's that they don't know first how to do it, which is part of my role in connecting them possibly with Habitat or somebody else, and then allowing them to learn and grow from there. That's self-esteem. That's that's the key. Yeah, I think about um, Sheila used to be the principal of Glenwood School, too, and um, Habitat has worked in Glenwood for years and years, and uh, we have uh, a row of houses that just is right next to the school property. Well, it used to be a dilapidated, rundown warehouse that was just kind of junky looking to be uh, a kind of brash about it, but... Um, now you have this nice row of houses, well-kept houses, um, and it feels it has a neighborhood feel about it now. And, you know, you can't help but feeling pride in your neighborhood when you see things like that. And, um, I, you know, we've worked in Glenwood for years and years. The school has been an anchor for that neighborhood. Um, at one point, I know they had a health clinic in the school. And when I go back and I look, what neighborhood was not included in the Promise Zone? The Glenwood neighborhood was not included in the Promise Zone because the poverty rate was not high enough to be included in the Promise Zone. Okay. So it's that investment, not just by Habitat, but by the community in these neighborhoods um, that have been disinvested in for years. You know, we've got to as the community come together and circle around these resident-led initiatives to um, do what we can, whatever our part of it is, to do what we can to make that the neighborhood be all that it is meant to be. Well, that segues perfectly into my next question, which would be, how can the community get involved in that? Uh, should they go through organizations like Habitat, you know, we want them to be, like you said, a resident-led initiatives that the community can come behind and support. Uh, I'd love to hear maybe just ways people can get involved in with Habitat if that's something they're interested in. But uh, from your, you know, viewpoint, um, what what does the community maybe need around the schools to provide extra care that we might not be thinking about? Um, things that might be lacking that you say would be this would be helpful to have in these neighborhoods. And how can someone listening? to this kind of bring either their church along, their family along, you know, that kind of thing? Well, I I think there are a lot of initiatives that take place within the community, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, particularly around the Christmas holidays, those types of things. Sure. Uh, Unfortunately, those are kind of hit or miss types type of deals. And it is the I feel good type of of thing that occurs around the holidays. And that's all fine, but we have to get to a point where we have stable uh, resources available for for people. And one of those things when when you asked me is the organization known as SEMA, uh, Southern Indiana Mentoring Academy, that has been established by Mr. Ted McCreary. It is an organization of men who have seen a need to go in, and, and right now they have been working at Lincoln Elementary. And so they go in and are there on a consistent basis to help do whatever needs to be done. But one of those things is for kids to be able to see men 
black, white, whoever is wants to be involved in it, actually see men in a positive light. And so they are expanding. They're, they're looking for resources. They have received some grant funding. But those are opportunities that the community has. Most churches do various things, uh, but everything is kind of fragmented. We have organizations like Bridge and, and some other, other places that do things to try to bring about a sense of, of community and well-being. And so making sure that people, by using these podcasts, giving them that kind of information, looking at WEOA, uh, community chat, uh, going and being involved, listening to or at least seeing what's going on with, with the school corporation, oftentimes they will tell you with the foundation what it is that our kids need, how to provide resources for them, how to support. And so sometimes it, it's surprising that it's not just sitting down writing a check. Sure. There are times for, for children in particular where it is more important that they see the person and the person invest their time in supporting the child as opposed to sitting down writing a check. Yeah. Uh, because that's, that's what they need. Uh, the needs are, are great. Uh, but I tell you, if you get involved with kids, it's never been 47 years and it's never been a job to me. I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And so many of the people, young people that are involved in Habitat and Get Habitat Homes are former students of mine that I saw at middle school who were now parents. What greater satisfaction is there for me as an educator than to see this person who I knew had potential, now they understand they have potential, and they're putting it to use. Yeah. That's, that's what Habitat, and that's why education and Habitat have to be hand at, go hand in hand. Yeah. It is, um, you know, I was thinking, seeing that too, when, when she asked that question, because I really do believe change happens when there's relationship, and relationship isn't a one and done, that, you know, I'm going to donate a Christmas gift, and the kid's going to have a toy to open on Christmas Day. Relationship takes time, and that's the, I really, I think the beauty of the Habitat program is when a family qualifies for our program, we work with them for about a year as they're performing their 300 sweat equity hours, and we get to know them. We get to know their joys, but we also get to know their struggles. And we work, you know, alongside of them. They're really the heroes of the story. They're the ones who've stepped out in courage yeah. to um, change their life. And we just get the, um, you know, the joy of walking alongside them as they're doing that. And so that relationship, we, we talk about the house, you know, uh, we're a Christian ministry and uh, prayers, number one way that people can help us. We always need volunteers to come out and help build our homes because that's why we're able to um, build so cost effectively is because our volunteers save us about $18,000 on a house because they're providing the labor of framing and siding and putting in the cabinets and painting and all those, you know, all those fun things, you know. 
And so, you know, that's that's another great way. And of course, what we do is expensive. So writing that check, being um, sharing your time, talent, and your treasure makes our ministry go. And so we, um, you know, where you allow people to put their faith into action and um, all of those kind of things come about and really add to this relationship that our families not only have with the staff at Habitat, but with the volunteers and with the donors that all culminates in that home dedication. And what a joyous day that is, you know, just uh, getting to hand the keys over to somebody who you know has worked their tail off to get that home and really create a better future for themselves. I mean, what a blessing that is to to us and to our community. You know, when when they invest, there is a greater likelihood that they will maintain it. Yeah. As opposed to when you give somebody something, there isn't an expectation that comes with that other than you need to give me something else. But when you have to work for something, whatever it is, is a little bit more valuable. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's a little more valuable. Yeah, yeah. I I think. It's is what you're you guys have been saying is there's a difference between the cycle of consume, earn, consume, earn, and consume, earn, contribute, consumer and contribute. And I think that that second cycle there helps people kind of see that cycle as and uh, you know, that's where they find their worth and their value is what they can contribute to. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. The last thing I just want to ask you guys is where, what are you excited about right now? Or where do you see hope in the areas that you're working in? I will say what I'm excited about is our community coming around the issue of housing. I think it's gotten so bad. For a long time, housing was not a sexy thing to be talking about. You know, nobody was like, oh, it's a, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a real, um, I'm not sure of the word, but not something that people really thought about a lot. But I think it's gotten so bad that um, people really do appreciate what we're doing now. They know we're not a handout. We are a hand up. And so um, I just see our capacity growing to be able to serve more and more families. And um, this, you, you know, I can't say it enough. Evansville is a very generous community. Uh, they do care about their neighbors. Um, sometimes they need a little education about who their neighbor is. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I really do think that we um, care about each other and are very generous with our time, talent, and treasure. And so um, that's what I'm excited about is just being able to do more and do it better. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited about education completely. When I look at our youth today, I know a lot of people say, "Oh, it's a lost generation." Is this? No, uh, I have an opportunity to speak in a lot of different venues, and I just spoke a week or so ago uh, to some seniors, and then told, looked at them, and you know, I feel very comfortable that our future is very bright. Because young people today are are very, very bright. I, I explained to them, I think that they were all born with technology. They had a cell phone when they came out of their mother's womb. <laughs> uh, and, and 
they're they're very astute uh, with regards to dealing with that. Uh, there are some drawbacks to the technology. The, the technology takes away the opportunity for kids to learn how to dialogue, mm-hmm. to, to talk to each other. And there have been studies that have indicated that oftentimes, our, particularly middle-aged, it's, it's interesting, 20s and 25s prefer to text than they do to actually meet <laughs> face-to-face. And, and, and that's a travesty. And so figuring out how to find a balance between the technology and being able to communicate, because we have to be able to do that. We have to learn how to work with others, uh, and, and that requires more than just texting. And, but our generation, future generations, are intelligent enough if we educate them on how to create a balance. Uh, how to do things in in the appropriate ways. When you were talking, it made me think that, you know, I think I see it in my my kids, um, the the diversity of thought is much brighter with this next generation. Um, acceptance, um, the ideas of equity, the ideas of, um, you know everybody bringing something to the table um, that they don't see the world as black and white. They see it as community. That's what excites me too. And, uh, you know, I think my generation certainly has something to learn from them. Yes. And mine too. Yeah. You know, through a child's eyes. When we start talking about uh, differences, discrimination, those are things that are taught. A child does not see that. They, they see the no. best in everything until we teach them differently. So oftentimes, if we as adults learn to leave our young people alone in certain areas, <laughs> right, we would be so much better off. Uh, and that's what excites me. Uh, the fact that I see a generation, future generations, where you're not going to be able to distinguish who is who, other than by understanding, dialoguing, and recognizing who this person is as a character, their personality, etc. Not by the color of their skin, not by their dialect, none of that will matter. And a lot of faith. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys again so much for being here today. Thank you. Pleasure.